0: Hey, y'all, if you're enjoying this podcast, take two seconds, send it to five friends. Um, some of the top episodes would be the Self-Confidence, Masculinity, and the Byron Rogers podcast if you want to send uh, some of the top ones to them, Otherwise, just take 30 seconds and review it on whatever podcast uh, application you use, whether it be Spotify, YouTube, Google, iTunes, Amazon, any of them. Thank you. last but not least today's podcast is brought to you by a3 body protectant a3 was designed when martin noticed that hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant healthy skin after plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care he learned the secrets hawaii's best secret is now available at a3equip.com that's a3equip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy. Get yours today at a3equip.com.
1: Proceed with caution. All doctors to the ER.
2: Do these guys have any idea what they are talking about? Talking about, talking about. Get squared away.
3: Spiritual.
2: Get squared away.
3: Emotional.
2: Get squared away. Mental get squared away call. the podcast that'll help you get squared away
0: all right we are back with another episode of squared away today we have susan gold susan is the author of toxic family and susan has a story that i think everybody needs to hear because when i heard her story the first time i was like this woman has done some things Susan, why don't you introduce yourself?
3: (laughs) I've done some things. All right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first, thanks for having me. And also thanks for the conversation and the content you guys are putting out. I know it looks glossy and fun to be a podcast host, but there's a lot of work that goes into bringing these conversations forward. So thank you. Um, And uh, yeah, so... I started out in a rural town in Pennsylvania, the middle of five kids with two pseudo adults at the helm. And I'm sure some of us can relate. Really, um, I, I couldn't wait to get out. And I dreamed of going to New York City. Ultimately, I did go to New York City. Um, And I was very skilled at matching celebrities with brands.
0: So you said middle Pennsylvania, two pseudo adults, and the book is called toxic Families. So assumably, there are some, some toxic times in there. Um First of all, what is middle Pennsylvania? Like, I mean, we're, we're coming from Wisconsin, we have everybody else, it's all over the world, is it pretty much just desolate? Or were you in a bigger town? Or what was that like?
3: Well, there was a university in my town. So that hipped it up a little bit but but it was pretty um quaint 2500 people um everybody knew each other everybody knew each other's stuff um river runs through it you know climbing mountains canoeing mm-hmm. all that stuff but i just didn't feel like i fit and um yeah yeah it, it beautiful country though beautiful
0: so what age what age did you kind of have the aha moment that like this, the, the, the childhood that you're living is not a normal childhood or not a safe child? Uh,
3: well, that goes back really early, um, like two. And I was left in the playpen for a really long time. And I still have the somatic memory of like bouncing up and down, holding onto the slats, like sobbing screaming for attention and then you know my poor mom she had five kids before she was 30 and she had a Peter Pan alcoholic husband um and she didn't have tolerance for my needs um and I remember being
1: slapped and beaten um as
3: I was sobbing rather than cuddled um it's hard to talk about that. Um, I have a lot of of memories that my siblings seem not to. We all seem to have grown up in a very different um, household. My oldest brother, who most of the abuse with, is between you know he and I. She, it's mostly a blackout, um, and it's painful now um, to be with him and know the the depths of the trauma he experienced. Um, And it was hurt and abused children, raising hurt and abused children. And it went back in the lineage. I mean, my mom had horrific abuse, all types of trauma ladled on her. And her dad was beaten almost to the point of death by his stepmother, which caused psychotic episodes. So you bring that into a family and if it's not treated not recognized you're going to create that again right and then we all carry the shame bag and the guilt bag and we carry it into the next scenario and recreate that unless we're fortunate enough or courageous enough to step up and oh realize yeah we're carrying that bag of crap just like Robert De Niro in the mission you know we got to let go of that crap
0: yeah, I know it. It I seem to be the type of person that people um, feel comfortable talking about that type of stuff with, and I know I've had some pretty deep conversations about that, and the hardest thing is to try to tell someone who is still really hurting because of their childhood that they don't need to forget about it, but their parents who caused that trauma were Damaged individuals, and we're doing it because they were damaged, not because they dislike them as human beings. And that's that's one of the hardest things to try to get across to people. um, That holding that grudge and being mad at whoever caused that trauma is just damaging you as an individual from the inside, rather than hurting that person that you're that you're holding the grudge against. What? People people find it
3: interesting because, um, you know, the title, Toxic Family, that was not my original title. (laughs) That's my publisher's title. And I was like, yeah, great. Let's get Jerry Springer on this. But um, my title was actually Magical Illumination, Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom because that's what I feel like it's been. I mean, I feel really fortunate, believe it or not, to have been born in the family that I was in to experience all that I. Did to step up and out of it and then face more remnants of it in my adulthood and move through that because all of those challenges and all of those challengers have been huge opportunities for soul evolution. And I think maybe next time, like I'll check out the small print before I come back in, (laughs) but (laughs) but um. You know i feel really privileged because i've been willing to do the work that it takes i've just had an intuitive ability to know when it's right and i have a skill set that is now helpful to other people to get
2: free so How about. long though so how long did, you, did it take you to realize that <clears throat> there's always a point where like i went through ch- abuse as a child too and i was a, a foster for a while as well and, you know, there's a period where you're just trying to find yourself. And sometimes you go through, I went through self-medication, which I believe, I think you went through that phase too. But how many years did it take for you to get to the point where you realize, like, wow, I need to work on myself and, you know, kind of get a hold of things and and uh, begin this new journey?
3: Uh, just first, I want to acknowledge your past. And I want to acknowledge your bravery to share that, especially, you know, as a masculine in today's culture. So thank you for voicing that. Um, I think I was in my early 20s and I was acting out stuff that I had seen in my own family. My relationships were getting very dramatic and more abusive. I had to take a slug from a wine jug to ask for a raise at work. And that was just like listening to my dad open the dry sink at 7 30 a.m. and popping the cork and the whiskey going (laughs) um and the people that I was surrounding myself with were a little bit more fair weather and seedy and um I wasn't reaching the goals that I that I wanted to I was being sexually harassed in the workplace which (laughs) didn't feel right at all although I felt comfortable um and so i asked a friend um for help i actually admitted what was going on and she gave me the number of a therapist and
1: thank god i dialed the number
2: wow and that's when kind of things turned around from there
3: they started started building yeah so so the first thing the guy that i saw the therapist he started talking was there alcoholism in my family i'm like well, my great-grandfather died of cirrhosis of the liver and my dad drinks all the time. But, you know, we're all happy when we drink. <laughs> and he's like, well, <laughs> you may want to go to some meetings and check out your dad's drinking problem. Don't drink while you're in treatment with me. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I'm sure. And uh, you might want to go s- to some meetings to see how growing up with an alcoholic has affected you in your life. So that was like the first peg I had to put into the plates just to do the the work and the unveiling. Um, I used to watch Barbara Walters on my beanbag chair in my basement growing up. And I wanted to get to New York city and be just like her. And I was in New York city. I was working for a large global talent agency, not making enough money to cut the bills. So I started a personal train on the side and she actually became my exercise. So I rang her um, (laughs) doorbell one morning at 7am for our session and she opened it. (laughs) She's like, Susan, get in here. What is going on? And she was a great interviewer for a reason. She got it out of me almost immediately when I prided myself. I'm just keeping my business to myself. And um, I let, out, let the cat out of the bag about what this guy was doing in the office. And she's like, I'm coming into work with you today and we're going to confront this joke. Um, and I'm like, well, <laughs> that's okay. I'm going to handle it. And I did confront him that day and he promptly fired me and Barbara offered me a job as an assistant, and I couldn't play that role. So um, with two and a half months of money in the bank, I decided I was going to form my own talent brokerage firm, and I had just extricated myself from an abusive relationship, and the man held the purse strings, which I'm not proud of, but um, I did ultimately step out of and stay out of, so I was willing to go to any length, and I ended up My first deal was knocking on the factory door to convince Andy Warhol to do a commercial for Pontiac that he really didn't want to do. And that sort of got me known for matching celebs to brands. Um, But I still had to face what my past sort of delivered. And that was staying sober and then facing clinical depression and learning how to work with that. I was often on medication for like 10 years um, until I really learned what it was. I learned how it manifested in my world and I knew the flags and when to get help. And then ultimately I didn't need the medication anymore because I knew, knew the circle and I knew other tools. I picked up meditation. Um, I went into endurance sport, marathon, triathlon, and eventually master swimming. So all these things, Martin. Long story short, helped me
1: deal with with the trauma.
2: You said with the triathlons and stuff. I mean, you you kind of beat yourself up too, though, right? It kind of drove you to a, push a little hard. Yeah,
3: yeah. So once an addict, always an addict, huh? So it took me a minute to see it, you know. Like, I stopped marathoning because the injuries were getting bad. And the mentality, the thought system was, well, I'll spread it out over three sports. So, like, seriously? And then um, the injuries got too bad there. I thought I was going to triathlon for life. Um, and so I focused on master swimming and I got a world-class Swimmer and a three time Olympian to train me. And I was throwing kettlebells and going to hot yoga and walking my dog three times a day and carrying the weight in my family. Um, And that fell apart too. It got to the point where that mask had to fall and I had to focus on another false persona that I had created to feel value and worth. And self esteem. And I had to find it again authentically, which was another layer of excruciating pain, but yet another opportunity to evolve and become an authentic, more authentic human being and really feel some kind of compassion inside my heart rather than this hamster on the wheel of do, 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 and foreign to get. And, um,
1: yeah it's
0: it's been a revelation what do you think it is about about that damage that comes from childhood that seems to manifest itself in such similarities throughout the population between addiction and production and self-worth issues um because i think we all know you know a bunch of people that that self medicate and they don't even necessarily consider that they were that they had trauma, but it's all they're always just trying to smooth the edge, right?
1: Yeah, I think there's
3: there's an indoctrination, right? I mean, do more, be more. You're not good enough unless X, Y, Z, right? There's this whole matrix. And it's reinforced, yes, in the family system, in the religious system, in the schools, the educational system, these systems that are, I think, fraudulent. Um, And I think that I'm here to work through them and walk out of them and then help other people to see the same.
0: What, where are you in your family tree, I guess, brothers and sisters, younger, older?
3: I'm smack in the middle okay. and I have an older brother, an older sister, and two younger brothers, and I never felt like I fit in. I don't even look like <laughs> I
0: fit in. <laughs> How yeah. old was your How mom the- when she had your, when she had her oldest, or- Young, whatever. She was
3: thirty years old. She was thirty years old, and she had five kids.
0: What about five kids. First, What about the first one?
3: I think she was probably twenty-two. Okay. There's my brother and sister, are Irish twins. So. Oh yeah, wow. I think they're like seventeen months. She was uh, an amazing
1: religious person. <laughs> yeah. It,
0: it, it, there's something in that. There's something in that mentality when it comes to how I'm trying to beat around the bush here and not, and not piss anybody off, but there's something, especially in, um, a certain sect of Christian faith where it's like just reproduce and reproduce for the sake of reproducing. But if you look at some of those families, it's like, you shouldn't have one, let alone six, and you're literally just popping out more. To whatever it is, help with the family, right? That's what it used to be. Used to have, used to you, you, you would breed your hired hands. But we don't need that anymore. And it's like I have my hands full, and my I have two, and one's nineteen, and one's ten. So it was like one, we we're only one was going through troubled stages at a time, and it's like all that I can do to give them the attention and the love and the care and the inspiration and the guidance that they need.
3: Yeah, Paul, I re- I relate. I mean, my mom said she had five of us, so we'd take care of her uh, as she aged, and I promptly moved to the other side of the country. <laughs> but um, I had I had one, um, and it was kicking and screaming. I didn't think that I would have a child. I looked at dogs on the street. It, we got the messaging that children were trouble, ruined your life. Don't do it. Uh, there's two blood grandchildren in the family out of five kids. My son's 19. Um, I was terrified. I was going to fluff him up. Um, it was really scary for me. I thought I'd repeat the same abuse. I wasn't sure that I had the capability to be a loving parent. Now I know I do. Um, and I did the very best that I can. You never do enough, as you know, (laughs) being a parent, (laughs) but, (laughs) but I did my best to treat him as his own individual with his own boundaries and his own trajectory, you know, here on the planet. And sometimes that's been painful. I mean, especially with this COVID stuff. But he and I have very diametrically opposed views on um the mandates that came down for that. And um he's by the book. And I I he was um he was 17, but I felt like it's his journey. And so I stood beside him and I even went with him to, you know, his, his time for his jab and supported him. Um, and that's, that was really hard as a parent with a totally different viewpoint, but I understand now that who he is and I respect him for it. And there's fallout now. And I still have to just bless you for your choices.
0: Can we send him a copy of The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert Kennedy?
3: Oh, my God, please. <laughs> you know? Yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> no, I, I, I won't. I,
2: That's a rabbit hole. <laughs> we, I,
0: I, I finished that book and I was like, we have to do a podcast on this. But I have no idea how to fit all of this. Like, it's going to sound coming out of my mouth like a paint cannon. Like there's going to be no direct like this 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 because it's it's just an unbelievable mess when it comes from him absolutely selling out the entire, you know, AIDS population in the 80s to doing the exact same thing on a, you know, 100 times fold to the American people through COVID. And it just I I don't even know where to start to try to get that on an episode because it is an astonishing
3: amount of data.
0: And information to get across
3: and for me it's it's a it's a meditative practice in allowing everyone to have their path. It's so frustrating to me, I mean one of my best friends was all about that jab, and couldn't believe I didn't get that in our friendship. We fell out, obviously, like so many of us do. She's dead she's dead oh my gosh. I can't say it's exactly from the job but um, let's see what the next two years delivers I think it may be
0: yeah and there, there's oh. so much when you look at the data um, that's coming out it's not even necessarily directly related all of the deaths but if you consider the uptake in suicides the uptake in drug abuse and all of the stuff that came out of the lockdowns, the what we did, now hindsight's always 2020, right? You can't Monday morning quarterback, but what we did, didn't did not help the American population as a whole at all. But I but that's digress. It's a huge rabbit hole. I digress. So. <laughs> um, what do you get? What, what, kind of, what kind of advice do you give um, to parents that Know they have some damage from their childhood, but want to cut the head off the snake before it transfers onto their kids.
3: Well, first things first, you have to accept it and understand that you have it, and that's just a journey in and of itself. I mean, I feel really fortunate that I was awake in my childhood um as opposed to say, you know my brother who was blacked out so First, the gift is to awaken to the truth and then to not blame, like you were talking about earlier, Paul, and to stand up and see it differently. It was important for me to go through like standard therapy, like talk therapy to just get the storyline down. But what really helped was somatic modality. So really going into my body where those trauma pockets are, take a look at them and. You know, size them up in every way, shape, or form, and then release them and replace them with light. And that's what helped me transform the trauma and see freedom. And it's a process, and it's not for the faint of heart. It's certainly diametrically opposed (laughs) to how I feel we've been programmed on the whole. And it's, um, It's a journey to stepping out of a matrix.
0: Could you elaborate? Because when I read the word somatic therapy, which I did a few times in my research, um, I don't necessarily understand what that process looks like.
3: Yeah, so I do a scan and I feel my heart. There's some kind of block. There's some kind of black and it's thick and it's kind of like molasses and yet it's like taffy. And so I go in there and I start to tag it with emotions. It's usually for me, it has to do with fear, feeling abandoned, feeling hunted, preyed upon, not believed, you know, victim, downtrodden. And then I push that out to the sides. And then I watch as white light comes in to replace it. And then I sit with that and I see if there's more of that in there. What am I feeling now? And I do clearing until it's clear. And um, usually I can go back into the original goal that I set. The session might be freedom, and I'm like a nine out of ten versus a two out of ten, and it's usually worse Monday mornings for some reason. <laughs> but that's an example of somatic work.
0: Okay, so it's very very visual, um, yeah. similar similar to like a uh, almost similar to like a like a linguistic programming where you're actually like you're actually visualizing whatever the. Th- the 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 goal is.
1: Yeah.
3: How often are you what,
0: doing
3: that? Um, as as much as I need it, like when I was walking through my divorce, I was doing that daily, um, and for you know an hour at a time because that's what I needed to get through that experience and shift it. Again, you know, traditional talk therapy is important, or was important for me. get the storyline down but what i found was it brought me back full circle 25 years ago and i was in the same scenario different circumstances so i really needed um, more somatic work to have actual shifts within my cellular being to live with more freedom and to make true breaks from these sort of ancient ties that had me cornered. And I hope that's not too Southern California hoo-hoo, but, (laughs) but it's just what I found to work for me.
0: No, I know, I know I've done, um, similar work. And when you really start to explore the body with your mind's eye, you can, you can sense those, those pockets of tension and you can sense those, those, you know, dark places. Um, I think that that's awesome because I've never heard of that as a therapy technique. Um, But like anything, something that works for you may not work for somebody else or, you know, and I think that that's a hard thing with people with therapy, right? Because if they're looking to, we live in this, this modern day insurance payment medical system where if you're looking to get it paid for by your insurance, you're going to go to the therapist or psychologist that your insurance will approve of, or whether, or if you're a veteran who the VA will, will send you to. Right. And, um, that person is probably worse by the way, I believe it. And that person is going to, that person's going to use what they, what they know and what they know and what they use may not be what works for you so if you're able to step outside of the modern payment structure and do your own research and go talk to 10 different therapists that have 10 different modalities um, I think that that is going to be where you're going to find the one that that speaks to you the best
3: I think that if we come back to the same podcast 10 years from now we <laughs> gonna be laughing like ultimately I feel like it's all frequency it's all energy we've had incredible healing modalities that are not in our present now but hopefully will be revealed fairly soon and I've really shifted i I was a dutiful soldier I went in for those annual exams you know I followed up with with modalities that were recommended until i saw what was going on and it didn't make any sense i mean part of my um discovery was like i said not being able to walk after you know all this incredible training and accomplishment in masters athletics and if i would have went to a western doctor they would have said insert titanium and pass go and i wasn't going to have any of it and i was in excruciating chronic pain for two years, but I believed there was going to be a modality, and I'm happy to say I found it, and it was to work from the muscle rather than the um, the pseudo diagnosis. Yeah, the skeleton, yeah. basically. And and I'm able to hike. I'm able to walk. You know, I couldn't walk around the block, and it was about building muscle where it had atrophy, where I had built strength over misalignment. And I'm at that age where that wouldn't even be considered. Just cut, cut. (laughs) And we are so powerful. We are so powerful. We have no idea.
0: You know, if, if you look at the human body and you just took all the muscle off and watched the skeleton collapse to the ground, you would kind of start to understand it it's like those bones and those joints are all held together in the way that they're held together because of the muscle muscle and the tissue around them. That muscle and soft tissue around them is what makes them function properly. But they go in and they're like, oh no, this is, we got to go and we got to replace this. Right. It's like, wait, hold on. Like if you didn't, if that joint didn't have any muscle around it, then that joint would be shit anyways, even if it was a brand new joint. So let's maybe think about the functionality of everything around it and how to improve that. You have people with such imbalances where, you know, oh, I have such lower back pain. Well, do yes, you have lower back pain, but is it because your lower back has a problem or is it because your entire front is so tight from sitting your entire life that it pulls your lower back forward and it's causing you an impingement? Oh, well, maybe.
2: Well, I think there's so much blind trust in our institutions and you know, like you're talking about in schools, it's more about indoctrination versus education and there's people that just aren't able. I don't know, I don't think they're not able to think, but they're just taught not to think anymore. And it's sad because, you know, in this past week I know three people that are a decade younger than I am that have gotten in and gone and had hip replacement surgeries. And it's uh yeah, they're getting younger, but it's, it just goes to that, you know, the fact that we can't, you know, how do you get people to stop and, you know, think about this stuff? Well, I think
3: it's, I think it's like by having honest conversation, like you two are bringing forward. I mean, just to voice it in, in the, covid time in california i started monitoring what i was saying and i was like this is wrong this doesn't even feel right you know and everybody's allowed their process i mean i said with my son like western medicine is his way and he's got serious stuff going on he's got major heart palpitations he went to a leadership conference in chicago and couldn't leave the hotel room and we weren't sure, was he having a mild heart attack? Like what was happening? He's 19 years old and he's still digging around for a Western medical answer. And that's his prerogative. Just like, you know, the people you're describing, Martin, it's it's your prerogative. But for me, I just feel like there's there's gotta be a better way. And I think that we are going to open more and more to a different way, as sort of the the ruse starts to further unloosen, and we continue to tell the truth. Just like I've decided to tell the truth about a taboo subject. I mean, who comes forward and says toxic family? Who wants to say that? But hopefully, it's it's to unloosen those strings that have sort of kept us in our little cubby holes, rather than expand into the incredible creative enlightened beings that we really truly are
2: so through your journey i mean have you what's the relationship now with your uh past family have there been so reconciliation my mom's or...
3: yeah my mom's on the other side and we communicated telepathically when she was here i didn't know until she passed away and i was doing the same thing as i was doing living on opposite the ends of the the country I have a lot of compassion. I understand where they came from. And I actually understand they played incredible roles. Um, They were the perfect actors in my movie for me to move through what I needed to move through. And my dad is still with us. Um, He's a brilliant retired astrophysicist. Um, I don't see him often. I don't see my family often. But um we have a positive relationship my sister's been incredibly helpful to me um she's she's always been sort of a shield and a, a support and um and i have incredible respect um but i also take care of my boundaries i mean with my oldest brother um basically let's just say this i was his lab experiment growing up and He was very angry and took a lot of it out on me, I mean, violently. And so when we see each other, he comes from a much different place now. And I do have compassion because I understand his own pain, Um, but I'm very careful to keep my boundaries and I have to watch my breath because it gets shallow, even my son noticed it. Um, he met him for the first time, I think when he was 14 or 15 that he remembers. Um, and he's like, mom, like, why do you sort of shy away when you're with your Bob? What's going on? (laughs) And, uh, I didn't share, I didn't share the trauma. I just told him there's some stuff in our past that I haven't really, I guess, worked through the whole way. Um, and he's not. He doesn't even know. It's like straight over his head. Um, and um, so, I guess the short answer is, I ha- I watch my boundaries, but I have great compassion, and I'm I'm there for them when when they need me. We don't engage that often. We never have um, as a family.
0: You said that same brother was the one that experienced the most of the rest of the abuse with you, right? Yeah. So it's probably not ironic that he also was um, causing that trauma to you because he was experiencing it so much.
3: Absolutely. And that's where the compassion comes from. Once you can see that and really get it like into your heart, I don't forgive the abuse. But I have compassion for where he's coming from. And And that is pivotal. To
1: forget,
0: I think that that is one of the most powerful places I've heard anyone come from because it shows that you are so real and have gone through. That's why when I started talking about that's how I introduced you. Like this, this woman has gone through some shit. Because, man, do you know if you give me the op- if you give me the option of hanging out for a weekend at a cabin with somebody who's been the the world has been nerfed for them and they've never gone through and overcome any adversity and everything has been so easily handed to them or someone who has made it out the other side of a fucking shitstorm. i'll take the shitstorm person every time because that person's real that person understands real life that person is is developed and understands who they are and those people are the people that that i love and that have the most to give to this world rather than the suburban you know, two-parent cookie cutter, perfect childhood, four-year degree, got right into their first job, and now has two kids in a white picket fence?
3: Well, yeah, who knows how white that picket fence really is, because I think we all have our stuff, whether we're cognizant of it or not, and everybody's doing the best they can, putting their pants legs on one at a time, and it's it's not easy being a human and taking a trip you know on this earth that honestly i think this could be the straight up ghetto <laughs> of, of the universe you know this is like this is a tough a classroom even if even if you did come from what looks like privilege and and everything's perfect i think you still have that inner Huh. I hope anyway. I don't know, but um I'm just grateful that the three of us are willing to reveal honesty and share with integrity, um, kinda offer some kind of sell and soothing.
0: How um how'd you get how where the where the idea to come to write a book?
3: I didn't want to write a book. I was told in 2007 by an Irish seer I had a book to write and it was going to help a lot of people. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go through a PR tool. for that. <laughs> um, And then I had two other intuitives tell me back to back. And one of them said, you have three books to write. You got a lot to write. And I was like, oh, fluff, well, I better start before I got a library to write. Um, and then I, I just, I sat down like a bulldog producer, which I was, and 15 minutes a day at the computer wrote, even if I didn't have anything to say, I just sat there. And then within a year I had a manuscript, um, but I didn't feel connected with it. Um, So somebody suggested I go back and I take a pass through from like that little Susie, that little light inside me that went through everything that honestly showed up for all of this. And the one that didn't poo poo the difficulties and the accomplishments. Um, And that's when when it got real. And that's when the puzzle pieces started. And that's when I realized I had something to share because I didn't think my story was any different than anybody else. Why would anybody care? And then also, another friend suggested, Well, why don't you put in some kind of experiential thing? So it's not just your story that somebody reads through and puts up on the shelf. So I created a workbook in the appendix, and it's exercises that have helped me walk through the stuff that I've walked through. Um, And I may tear up because um, to me, it was just sort of like a throwaway. I figured everybody knows this stuff, but it's actually really helping people. Um, People are shifting. I had a woman actually come to my house and knock on my door because the insight was so huge for her and everything just started falling into place. And she had to come to share this with me in person, face to face. And I've had other total strangers writing to me saying, you know, this exercise, like took my trauma level down to a two, And I can actually like live comfortably during my day.
1: Now I just had no idea.
2: That's awesome.
0: Um, I, I talk about it all the time on here, but it's like, when somebody reaches out and says something that you did helps, like that's, that makes like the hours, the last hundred hours worth it. When somebody gives me five minutes worth of like, hey, you really helped. Like, oh, everything's fucking worth it. Do you think you needed to do that kind of bulldog producing 15 minutes a day no matter what to get out what you first got out before you could get the inspirational part out? Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, so when I started that, and that was probably three and a half years ago, I was different than I am. I was still sort of on that rat wheel of produce, 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 do, do, do. You're only as good as blah, blah, blah. Um, And I've had profound shifts and some more layers of crap came off my heart um, and exposed me to a little more softening, a little more feminine because I've had an overdeveloped sense of masculine. You know, I just, had that I, I I've had to have it to survive I mean I was six years old doing what most adults don't do because that's what was needed um and I'm not begrudging that because it has served me I've taken huge risks and been able to step up and stick my neck out um and not just survive but thrive but um I'm grateful that that stuff is coming off because now I see that things can come with more gentleness um, and I can speak more softly rather than with such didactic <laughs> veracity <laughs> and uh, move through life softer. Yeah.
0: It's, it's being dynamic though, right? It's having, it's having both tools in the toolbox for different situations.
3: Yeah, you're right. You're right as long as I have clarity around it. Because I was I was my own worst slave driver. I still do have a lot of issues with um self-criticism, judgment, perfectionism, shaming myself, guilting myself. You know, I'm a huge empath. I want to take it on. I'm a super empath. Like I'm back still with Martin wanting to take on his pain from His childhood, you know, I want to sop it up like a sponge. And it's a process to learn. Martin had his storyline before he came in. He decided he wanted that experience. It's making him who he is now. It's making him walk with power. And, And that's why he's hosting this podcast and giving up his time. To share that with other people and radiating it, even if he doesn't say anything, the people around him, he's radiating it and healing.
1: So I think there's a
0: lot of people out there that have some damage. They have some trauma, but it's not, it's not a 10, right? It's not, it's not. The story that that you went through, the story that Martin went through, but it's still causing them, um, it's still causing them issues. What do you say to those people to try to get them to like understand that trauma is not black and white; it's not on or off; it's a spectrum, and everyone should at least realize that.
3: The first thing is, it's almost like the addict that's got a problem, but they don't know it that person that could be a two on the trauma scale, and it's blocking them to really letting somebody see into them because they have that Teflon thing. I mean, and you know it, and Martin knows it, and some of your listeners know it. But if they don't know it, that may not be their jam, Paul. They may stay with that. And that's been a real, it's hard for me especially when I have clients that come to me and I can see easily, I can intuit it in a heartbeat. But if if they're not ready and they're not willing, ain't nothing I can do about it, but be a power of example. And then six years later, they come back and they're ready to look. Just like with my son, he wanted that jab. It's his responsibility. He wants to be like his fellow students. Nothing I could tell him. Got to let him do what he's going to do and go to the freaking appointment with him to watch him get the jab. Like, that's compassion. That's our superpower as humans and being a power of example. And maybe maybe in 10 years, he'll say, mom, you're right. What's the number of that medical intuitive? I need real real help. If the med beds don't come before then.
0: And you work with people now?
1: Yeah, I do. I do. What, what's
0: what been some of your most, I guess, groundbreaking or successful tactics of trying to help people?
3: Well, mostly it's listening. It's listening and really authentically hearing them and then acknowledging that they've been hurt. And I think we all could need, could use a little bit more of that. I mean, where that played out most dynamically and it shifted was, you know, I used to come off the freeway in LA and if there'd be a homeless person with a sign, just, you know, look the other way and like shut them down, you know, and ran theory, go get social service help. It's not my problem. And ultimately it shifted to the point where I was reaching into my wallet, whatever came out, I didn't look for the one Just reached in, and if it was a 50, okay. And I looked that person in the eye compassionately, and I gave them the telepathic message that they matter, that their journey matters, that their pain matters.
1: It was so fulfilling. And it's made me a better
3: human being. I don't know what it's done for them, but hopefully it's it's given him a little magic and a little light even if it was just for that moment
0: I don't remember which comedian it is but he has a song and he's like uh talking about giving money to a homeless guy and he's like was well, just going to use it on drugs and alcohol and he's like well that's what I'm going to use it on so who cares <laughs> I love that <laughs> I heard that one
1: <laughs> um did you have people
0: that kind of helped your journey or really, for the lack of, some people pull, right? And some people push and some people just support. And we have all those different kinds of people. Did you have people like that in your life?
3: I had so many, or I wouldn't be here. You know, I had a a high school teacher that helped me so much to stay on the planet. Uh, Barbara Walters helped me, definitely. Uh, Feel some kind of sense of esteem and value and worth. You know, one of my dear friends that I met on jury duty that I worked with, she helped me move forward in my career, even though ultimately we had diametrically opposed points of view. So there have been so many angels in my life. Strangers have been angels. They come in all forms. And I'm hip to that now. And I'm grateful
1: for it.
0: Let's see. I think that's most everything I had to get out. Um, Can you tell people where they can find you? Give them the name of the book again so that they can purchase it in whatever format they prefer. And then uh, anything else that you have?
3: Sure. So if you want more stuff on me, just go to susangold.us. I'm not going to sell you anything. I'm not going to package up anything. You know, if you're drawn to the stuff and if you want my book, it's called toxic family transforming childhood trauma into adult freedom. And it's on all the platforms, Amazon, Barnes and Noble and stuff, but you'll know it. You'll know if you need that book, I'm not selling it to you. So sick of everybody coming on these dang podcasts and Sending me emails saying they're my best friend and then 897 for this incredible series and we're giving away so much stuff free and I just want to club. Like, dude, (laughs) just put out your message and if people need it, they're gonna know that little voice inside them is gonna draw them to hit the button. There's nothing wrong with help. There's nothing wrong with like providing help, but don't sell me on it. Bomb it, right? I think it's all gonna become
1: word of mouth. (laughs)
0: Ultimately, it is we we talk about we talk about it all the time because it is extremisms are they, they go off like a flash in a pan. Right. So, you know, when somebody is like we talked about Andrew Tate, right, he's extremism in the masculine community. So he goes off like a flash in the pan and blows to the top. But then there's no substance there. It's just extremism that blew him up. So then he just falls to the wayside, and then this extremism thing comes over here, and this extremism thing comes over here, and it's like the real, the real cream slowly builds and slowly rises, and all of a sudden you've got someone like, like Andrew Huberman or like Jordan Peterson that like they've been doing this for twenty years, and now all of it, oh, overnight success, yeah, an overnight success that they took. 30 years or 25 years to become who they are and to learn all of the knowledge that they have and to touch the hundreds of thousands or millions of people that they touched. And that's why they are where they are and they will be sustainable in their growth, not because they said extreme things on a few YouTube videos and blew up,
3: right? I think we're getting more hip to it as a collective. So I, th- I think it's going to, again, look much different, not even too short a time now, but yeah, I mean, everybody deserves to eat. I'm not, I'm not shaming anybody for what you do to make a living. I just, I just know intuitively. And that's been my experience that, that people are attracted and they just find who they need.
0: See, that's your new feminine voice. My masculine voice will shame the shit out of people that are ruthlessly, ruthlessly selling stuff. It drives me
2: nuts.
0: <laughs> you got anything like else, Martin? The liver King. <laughs> Yo, Liver King.
2: Liver King, uh, let's uh, go. So I, no, I just, uh, I appreciate you being on there, Susan. I mean, when I l- listen to a podcast you were on and uh, looked at your site and, and your book, and it just, yeah, it's just, we have a lot in common, different experiences, but it just, uh, feels like we're peeling the onion, you know, one day at a time and over decades here. So I yeah, appreciate thanks. you coming on and
3: thanks for your bravery and doing it, Martin, and for the bravery of staying on the planet. You know, I know I've wanted to pop off a couple of times and we all have our exit points, <laughs> but I'm glad that we're here today together and I really appreciate it. And Paul, thank you. And again, thanks for the amazing content you are continuing to produce and I'm subscribed and following and yeah, I look forward to more. So thanks for the privilege of this conversation.
0: Excellent, thank you.